and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This fall we have uh, spent uh, this time looking at uh, different aspects of Romans chapter 1 by going verse by verse through this incredible first chapter of what has been called the Christian Manifesto, Paul's letter to the Romans. And we find ourselves today at verses 21 through 23 this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Now last week we studied and we talked about that humanity had suppressed the truth of righteousness that God had revealed in creation. And today we're going to see that not only has man suppressed the truth, but man has substituted the truth as well. So I would ask that you would go ahead and stand as we read together here of Romans chapter 1. I'll be starting in verse 16 and going through verse 23. This is what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Our text for the morning, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Let's pray. Father God, we open your word this morning. We open your word because in your word is the answer to our pursuit in life. In your word is is the hope of tomorrow. In your word is Hope in times of trial. And Lord, we come to a text this morning that speaks about us in our sinful state. It speaks about humanity. And though we knew God, we neither glorified you nor gave thanks. Father, I pray that through the words that are spoken today, that that would not be the case of my brothers and sisters today. That we would be a people who glorify God. That we would be a people who give thanks to God. That we would be a people who worship the one and only God in heaven. The Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The only true God who deserves worship and praise and our constant affirmation. Because you are God and there is none like you. To you be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. When Amanda and I uh, were married for about uh, two years, Amanda and I spent the first two years of our married life in a basement apartment at my parents' house. And uh, we had been saving up. Amanda had finished up school and we were saving up uh, to get into a house. 
and we had saved up what we wanted for a desired down payment. We had found uh, a builder that was going to build the house that we're in today, and uh, we were excited about it. Amanda was looking forward to decorating the house and putting all her uh, nice little knickknacks and things up that she wanted to be a part of, and I said one thing to her. I said, Amanda, you can decorate the house however you want. Even if that means, well, I shouldn't have said that. I, I did say that there was one level that I couldn't have of decorating, and that was that there couldn't be flower petals on our bedspread. That was one thing I said. But everything else was, was uh, completely off limits. She could do whatever she wanted uh, to decorate the house under one circumstance, that I could spend the year that it would take to build the house uh, to uh, save up some money to buy a big screen TV. I'd always wanted a big screen TV. Uh, living in the country, we never had good reception, and so I was so excited when I first had cable. This was an exciting time to watch the Bears game without losing your eyesight, trying to look through the snow, and I wanted a big screen TV. And she said, that's fine. Go ahead and save up any extra money and go ahead and buy a big screen TV. Well, I did for about nine or ten months. I had saved up a thousand dollars and I was feeling really good about this. Now you can talk with me later about my materialism and that. I'm no, I'm not sure whether I tithed any of that ten percent to the, or to the Lord, but you can talk with me later about that. But I took, and this money was burning, my friends. It was burning in my pocket. And I took it to the different Best Buys and Circuit Cities and Sears. And I went around and I was terribly disappointed that $1,000 in that day would not buy you a big screen TV. I wasn't even close. And I was so dejected. I wanted a big screen TV so bad. And I said, well, I'll stop at one more place. And it was the Naperville Circuit City. And I walk in and again, to my displeasure, everything is a couple hundred dollars out of my price range. And uh, I'm ready to leave the room, leave the store. And a salesman comes up and he says, can I help you, sir? I said, no. I said, I don't have enough money to buy what you're selling. And uh, he says, well, what do you have to buy? And like an idiot, I said, I've got a thousand dollars. And this guy said, man, praise the Lord, a dummy's born every day. And he says, well, you know what? Today is your lucky day. He said, we've got the TV for you. And he takes me over to this Sony TV. I think it was like 46 inches. And he says, does it look nice? And it's not on or anything. Yeah, it looks great. He says, well, it's a display model. And he says, I can sell it to you for the low, low price of $999. And I said, amen. And he says, but before, he says, i got to be honest with you, I'm not one of those salesmen that just sells you something. He says, I want you to know that it is a display model, and there is a problem with it. And I says, all right, what's the problem with it? And he turns it on, and he says, a couple months ago, we uh, had accidentally left the TV on overnight, and it had a DVD in it. And uh, what happened was, is we had the DVD paused, and he turns on the TV, and I see the word Video One on the left-hand side of the screen and the, the name Top Gun across the top of the screen. And he says, what happens with projection TVs, if you pause something, and some of you may know this on the old projection TVs, if you leave an image on there for too long, it will burn an image onto the screen. And they had left a DVD of Top Gun in there. Now, he's, you really can't see it, can you? And remember, the money is burning in my pocket. And I said, no, you're right. Uh, you really can't see it, can you? And I'm like, hey, honey, can you see it? She's like, yes, I can see it. I'm like, come on, you, you, come on, you can't see it. 
And, and, and so he says, but you know what? It's your lucky day again. We've got what we call here at Circuit City the performance guarantee. And he says, for $200 more, you buy the performance guarantee. And he says, you call the repairman and they will fix it for you. I said, all right. For $1,100 or $1,200, I can go ahead and do that. Amanda gave me very begrudgingly $200 extra out of our checking account and said, go ahead and get it. You're never going to be happy until you do. And I bought it. And I'll tell you, I was the laughing stock of my family because every time I said, come on over, man, Top Gun was right there to be seen. And my dad says, my goodness, I thought I raised you up to be a smart boy. And he says, you bought a TV that's broken. I said, don't worry about it, the performance guarantee. Two weeks later, I've got the, uh, the uh, TV repairman there, and he's, he's looking at it, he's giving me uh, what it's going to be to fix it, and he says, all right, he says, here's the quote. And I said, no, sir. I said, I have the performance guarantee. And he says, well, here's the quote anyway. And he said, uh, $1,500. And I said, well, I said, look at the performance guarantee. He says, yeah, he says, I've been there before, sir. You can hold that performance guarantee all you want. He says, here, why don't you look down the fourth line? Performance guarantee does not cover projection screen burns. And my wife was quiet. She probably knew already. She probably read it. And what had happened was, what had happened was, is I had been lied to. The salesman wanted to get rid of it. He saw a fool, and he sold me it under false pretenses. And I fell for a lie. Now, the amazing thing, I don't want to make this a long story. It's probably longer than I'd like it to be already. But it took me six months to resolve that issue to the point that I had worked my way up on accident getting in touch with the secretary of the CEO of Circuit City. And I said, I am so upset. And I said, I've got a big mouth, ma'am, and I will tell everybody not to shop at Circuit City. And I said, your stock will drop. I said, I've been lied to. The man got on the phone and he said, you'll have a brand new TV with a check the next day. At, someone better get that. It's Circuit City. It's Circuit City. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the church is not liable for anything that I say. <laughs> 8 o'clock the next morning, I have a 51-inch, brand-new, out-of-the-box TV. I say that, funny story, Tim, you're a dummy, ha-ha. I say that, though, because this is a picture of humanity. Humanity wanted something. We wanted purpose, peace, contentment in our life. And instead of going the right way, what I should have done is said, I don't have enough money. I'm going to wait. I'm going to uh, take time and be patient to receive what I want in the right channels, in the right ways. Instead of doing that, I was so fired up to what I wanted, just like humanity, humanity fell for a lie. We fell for a lie. The Bible says in a couple passages just beyond this one that we exchange the truth for a lie. And that's what we've done. And the amazing thing is, is just like me, I was stuck in this. Because you know what? Even though the man had lied to me, I had signed on the dotted line. I was liable. And we, when we fall to the lie, we can't point to the devil. We can't point to our mother and father in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and say, it's your fault. 
It's not my fault. It's your fault because we've signed on the dotted line and we've exchanged the truth for a lie. But you know what? The only thing that can save us from that is a special act of grace by someone who is greater than ourselves. And that's the gospel. And that's what we talk about today because we have come to a point where we have substituted the truth. Paul says we suppress the truth. We've held it down. We talked about that kata echo. We've held it down. We've tried to keep it from being involved in our lives. And then now we've said not only are we going to hold that down, but we're going to go grab something else that will be more to our liking. There are three things this morning that I want to uh, look at uh, in regards to this truth that has been substituted. There are three things that take place. The first thing that we see is that uh, humanity's substitution for the truth leads to our dismissal of God in our lives. It leads to the dismissal of God in our lives. Look at verse 21 of our text this morning. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says, for although they knew God. Paul uses this phrase, they knew God. We talked about this word uh, a couple weeks ago. This word is the word uh, know, which is gnostis uh, in the uh, Greek. And what Paul is reaffirming is that they know God. This isn't something that humanity can say, we don't know who God is. I'd love to know about God. I'd love to be able to worship God, but I just don't know who He is. Paul says they knew God. They knew Him. So that, therefore, because of natural revelation, because of what they've seen in creation, they are without excuse. They'd experience God. They, every day that they walk out and experience creation, they're experiencing the very nature of God. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, people have a relationship with God. We still have to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But they have experienced God. They know God. They've experienced His power. They've experienced His person, we talked about. And literally the product of God. We talked about that the creation literally is the poem of God in the Greek. It is what God has created. It is His workmanship. And He's created it that we may know Him. This point is where man begins with a knowledge of God. Don't ever think that man doesn't know who God is. Don't ever think that man had excuse if they've never heard the name of God or the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man has a knowledge of God, but has alienated himself. The fall that we talk about, when we talk about the fall, we talk about the original sin in the Garden of Eden. And we talk about that they fell. Well, where did they fall from? They didn't fall from some uh, physical position from a higher place to a lower place but they fell from a knowledge of God, an experience of God, to being set apart from God, to being alienated from God. And that was not what God created them for in the beginning. A.T. Robertson, a Bible scholar, says it this way, No person, however degraded, has yet been found without some yearning after God, a seeking to find the true God and and an attempt to try to get back to Him. Paul spoke of this in Acts 17. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. 
Now, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Paul is telling us that we can, I don't know if that's me that's making that noise, but uh, Paul says that there is a greater knowledge and a greater understanding to be had besides knowing about God in creation. And he says that that's where man has stopped. It's as if they looked at creation and they said, that's great, that's wonderful, but I'm not going to hold that that is from God. And this leads to a couple things. First of all, it leads to a reckless choice. It leads to a reckless choice. Remember what I told you last week? Uh, Paul says in verse 17 that a righteousness has been revealed from heaven. This righteousness is from God. This is the righteousness that is going to save us. Remember, Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is, is that man is in trouble and that God has sent a righteousness from heaven. That's the gospel. So what, what takes place? He says there's a righteousness. But while that righteousness is being revealed, there's a second element that's being revealed, and that is the wrath of God in verse 18 is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness. Now, now, why is that happening? The reason why is the righteousness of God has been revealed. Man has suppressed the righteousness of God, so we don't want it in our lives. And now we see they have substituted that and said we're going to find our own righteousness in our own way, and in our own packaging. So what happens? God says, you suppress the truth in righteousness, you suppress the truth, and you substitute it, and the wrath of God is going to be revealed and will continually be revealed for all ages. To who? To those who suppress the truth. To those who substitute the truth. Paul says, for although they knew God, they neither. Stop there for a moment. They neither. This word neither in the tense and in the form literally means that they made a decision in the past that has continuing uh, implications into the future. Meaning at a time in the past, they made a decision that they were going to do something. They said, all right, although we knew God, but though we know you, God, we won't. And then we'll get to what it's going to say in a moment. This is a picture of absolute Negation, Bible scholars say. This is a forceful way of saying no. Meaning they made a deliberate choice against God. Always remember, always remember this, that man is never unsure about God. Don't ever think that, that God is, is in the mind of man, is, is being uh, placed on a scale to see if he's right or wrong. Every time in sinful humanity, man is play, or God is placed on the scales, God is always going to be found wanting in the eyes of man. This isn't an idea where, where we've got some good in us, we've got something that, that, that tracks us to God that says, yeah, well, well, I do like God, you know, God's a good God. No, the Bible makes it clear that humanity is a group of God-haters, that we are hostile towards God, we are enemies of God, and we are with His enemy, the devil. This isn't something where we can grab parts of God and, and not other parts. We are completely in our sinful state turned off by God and His truth. 
Well, it leads to a couple things. We make this reckless choice, and it gives us two actions. First of all, we don't give God glory. We do not give God glory. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God. This word glorified literally is the Greek word doxazo. What is the English word that we get from that? Anybody know? Doxology. We give thanks to Him by glorifying Him. He's going to talk about this thanksgiving later, but this glorifying is this word doxazo. It literally means to honor, to give another glory, to praise, to extol, to magnify, to celebrate, to make glorious, to adorn with luster, to clothe with splendor, to impart, to glory in something, to render something excellent, to make renown, to render illustrious, To cause the dignity and worth of something or someone to become manifest and acknowledged. In light of creation, humanity should have stopped and they should have said, glory be to God. Now think about that for a moment. He doesn't even talk about special revelation, what we talked about last week. He doesn't talk about all the things that are represented in the nature of God and the kindness and mercy of God. He never even gets to. But what should have happened when humanity looked at creation, they should have been blown away and said, praise be to God. And it should have just been continuous. They should have been continually praising God, but it says they neither glorified Him as God. So they look at the creation, all that God has created, from the smallest of animals and plants all the way to you and I as human beings, and they say, that's nice, but nothing big. You know, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice, but it's nothing important. It in glorifying God. The second thing we see is that they did not get, show God gratitude. They did not show God gratitude. Look at what the text says. It says, nor did they give thanks to him. This word thanks is the Greek word Eucharisto. If you're Catholic, you've heard that term before, the Eucharist. It's the uh, name for uh, the ceremony that takes place with the body and blood of Jesus Christ at the communion table. It's a time of thanksgiving in the Catholic theology This Eucharisto, it literally means to show oneself grateful or to give thanks. Now, this is even worse than the first one, because they could have looked at uh, creation, sinful humanity, and said, all right, we look around, we look at the stars in the sky, the moons, the sun, we look at all that and we say, well, it's no biggie, and God doesn't deserve any praise for it. But beyond that, it says, nor did they give thanks to him. This takes away even the idea that they have to thank Him as God, scholars tell us, that all they needed to do was be thankful for creation that is there before them. So what that means is even as we look at creation in our sinful state, we're not even thankful for the things that are around us, whether or not that author or creator is God. We never even get to the point of just saying thank you, whoever you are. I don't, I don't think much of you in my religious state, but at least thank you for creating a world. Thank you for creating uh, nature and air and gravity so that I don't just fall apart in this world of molecules that you've put together. And it says they've given no thanks to him. This is a problem because what has happened is, is we've dismissed God when it comes to sinful humanity. 
My guys at uh, the office many times will find themselves uh, watching MTV. And one of the shows that they love to watch is this dating show called Dismissed. And it's, and it's so funny how, how we uh, do this new dating thing. Five or six people, as I've watched it, are on a bus. And they find themselves all vying for one person's affection. And this bus drives up, and they're waiting to meet this one person. But the problem is, is that they have to wait in line. So it starts with person number one, bachelor or bachelorette number one, and it moves down the line. And what the person that is the actual, uh, I don't know what they would call them, contestant, finds himself that he has the power or she has the power to dismiss that individual. Now, sometimes, as I've seen this show, they walk off the bus and they see them and they don't meet the criteria of what they're looking for by looks. They haven't even said a word. They yell out the word dismissed and that person has to walk back on the bus and say, I guess I didn't make it. Then there's other times where the person gets off the bus and they hang out for a while and they go and have this little date and do, you know, get to know one another and stuff. And maybe right in the middle of something, uh, the girl will flick her hair the wrong way or the guy will chew with his mouth open and the person will say, dismissed. And it goes down the line. Now the problem is, is that you never know how good or bad the next person is going to be. And you only got five options. So you don't want to get rid of option number one if that's the best of your options. This is a wonderful example. Maybe you're not following this MTV and you shut down right at that point. But this is a wonderful illustration of what humanity has done. Humanity has placed themselves outside that bus. And we have figured out that we've got five or six opportunities to pick out who we want to glorify, to whom we want to give thanks. And what happens is, is when God starts opening his mouth, you know what humanity did? It said, dismissed. I don't like what you have to offer. I'm going to take my chances with something else. And what happens is, is in our sinful state, humanity dismissed God from the table. All that God has shown us through creation, all the wonderful things that God has offered us as his free gift of common grace, we say we don't want it. God, we're going to try our chances with someone else. It led to a reckless choice that led to sin entering into the world, that led to person after person lost in their sins being led to a place called hell. A reckless choice. The second thing we see is a resulting condition. There's a resulting condition that takes place. Look at what Paul tells us later in the text. He says there's a resulting condition that happens. You don't show God glory You don't give God glory. You don't show him gratitude. You know, this gratitude issue is an issue that is long throughout the church. Just read the uh, Psalm 78 if you want to know how ungrateful we are. Psalm 78 talks time and time again. Well, the Lord showered down manna from heaven for the children of Israel. And what do they do? While it's still in their mouths, they start complaining about it. Well, the Lord gives them shoes that will not wear out so they can walk for years in the wilderness. And they complain about it. The Lord showered down meat from heaven. The Lord gave water from a rock. And what do they do? They complain, they complain, they complain. Why? Because they were ungrateful. I told you a couple of months ago that the original sin in the garden had to do with an ungrateful heart. Instead of looking at all that God had given them in the garden, all the wonders and glorious things that God had given Adam and Eve, the devil comes, and what does the devil say? But he hasn't given you this. And ungratefulness grew in their heart, and they said, but I want that. An ungrateful heart moved humanity to exchange God for a lie. 
Well, it introduced a couple things, this resulting condition. What does it lead to? First of all, hollow reasoning. It says that they were futile in their thinking. This word futile literally means to be given over to worthlessness, to think about worthless things, to become destitute in real wisdom. Paul's idea here is that humanity's ideas about God are worthless. They are uh, empty of any wisdom that comes. That's pretty sad. Hollow reasoning. It is so sad that humanity has all these opinions about God, these ideas about God, and yet they are hollow. I like the NAS uh, translation better. The NIV says that, that their thinking is futile. But NAS uses the word speculations, I believe. And what this literally means is that people have false notions about God. They've speculated about God. They've thought up what, what the Bible, uh, they've heard about what the Bible says about God, and they say, well, I don't want to hear that. We want to make up our own idea about God. Ask a sinful uh, individual in their sin, ask them what they think about God. They're not going to tell you what the Bible says about God. They're going to come up with their own idea about who God is. When I talk with people that are lost in their sin, what do they tell me? They tell me about a God of their own making. They tell me about a God that they like. I don't think God would do that. I don't think God's a God of wrath because He's a God of love. And I only see Him as a God of love. And this is false speculation unless it is balanced with the truth of the living Word of God, the Bible. So we find them foolish in their speculations. It's been once said that man was to be a worshiper, but instead man became a philosopher. We begin to philosophize, philosophize, that works, yeah? Thank you, Ray. Philosophize about God instead of just plainly worshiping God. Instead of just giving Him the glory that's due His name, we find ourselves trying to break down who God is to try to figure out what is all what He's all about in our own thinking and in our own why. Well, it moves to a second thing. That's a horrible reality. The text says that their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul gives the reason why humanity struggles with hollow reasoning. The hearts are darkened. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Your hearts are darkened. Well, first, he says that humanity has a foolish heart. This word foolish in the Greek literally means without discernment or without understanding. But why wouldn't Paul speak of the mind? Why wouldn't he say their minds have been darkened and their minds are foolish? Well, of course, just like today, we don't just think of the heart as the thing that's beating in our chest, this organ that's pumping blood, but it's something more than that. Well, how did Paul, uh, how do we know that Paul meant the heart? And it wasn't some translation. Well, it's what the original Greek is great about. He uses the word cardia. Well, what do we think about that? Well, when we think of cardia, we think of cardiovascular, which talks about the heart. Paul is talking about the heart. Now, why would he say that? Because in that culture, just as in today, the heart meant more than just an organ. It meant the center of everything that takes place. This idea of the heart literally was the spring of man's motives, the spring of man's attitudes, the center of his personality as well. Paul says that their hearts are foolish because instead of following God, instead of honoring God, they made up their own minds about God that led them to live a life that was different, that led them to live a life that led them to hell. Now, this foolish way of thinking, this foolish way of living, is an attempt as a created being to take away the Creator from their lives. Think about that for a moment. You are created. You know that somehow and in some way you have been created. 
You didn't put yourself together. And what you're saying is, is if you say no to a creator, what you are saying is, is I know I was created, but I will not say that there was a creator. That is absurd at best. And that shows the foolishness and the darkening of the hearts of people. Because we have to have come from somewhere. So what do we begin to do? We say we came from some sort of sludge. We came because two big rocks that created themselves sometime came together and banged together. And then all of a sudden the earth was created. Instead of saying, you know what? It seems kind of odd that sludge would bring forth all that we see. I will at least give glory to God that there is a creator. And that seems to be happening in our scientific world today, is that people are coming to a point, this is where this intelligent design comes into place, while they will not say that, okay, we believe in a a young earth theory, or we believe in a literal 24-hour, six-day period. They They don't say that, but they'll say, you know what, after looking at all this, someone had to kind of first put turn on the switch. Someone had to start this. We're not sure who it might be, but we're going to say there's a designer out there that began all this. Because if we don't, we find ourselves going and and, and grasping for straws about how this all began. It says, Their hearts are darkened because any person who forsakes God, their creator, is the ultimate fool. Because he forsakes, listen to me, when we forsake the creator, we forsake truth. When we forsake the Creator, we forsake eternal life. When we forsake the Creator, we go and we take truth and we push it away and we pursue a lie. And that's why Paul says they are foolish. Thomas Paine, the renowned American author who wrote the pamphlet Common Sense, that was one of the key elements of the American Revolution, who exerted considerable influence against a belief in God and in the Scriptures, came to his last hour in 1809, and this is what he said. A man who fought God all the years of his life said, I would give worlds if I had them, if my book, The Age of Reason, had not been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer this calamity? But my body says there is no God. But if there was to be a God... What will become of me in the hereafter? Stay with me, God. For God's sake, stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me, for it is hell to be alone. If ever the devil has had an agent, I have been his my entire life. Do you see the fighting that's going on? Oh, God, help me. Well, there isn't a God. But God, if there is a God, help me. Humanity will come to a place because of their reckless choice and its hollow reasoning. It will come to a place where it will find itself schizophrenic because it will say, I know there's a God. Everything in me says there's a God. But the hollowing reasoning that I have formulated in my brain keeps telling me no. I don't know if Thomas Paine ever came to know Christ But he was a schizophrenic man at the end of his life because of this issue. The second thing we see this morning is that it involves a decision to live a life apart from God. Look at verse 22 and 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul goes on and he says, all right, humanity, although they knew God, They neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him. And now it says that they professed to be wise. 
Paul says they've become fools. That God says that their hearts have been darkened. They've become fools. And what does man do? He stands up and he says, I am wise. Listen to me. I have wisdom. Professing to be wise. The idea here is that what is taking place is is that God's wrath is being revealed because man stands up and man doesn't just say that God, uh, I'm not going to listen to you, God. God, I'm not going to uh, respect you as God or glorify you as God. But on top of that, what man says is, I'm the wise one. I'm the smart one. I'm the intellectual one. There is no God. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Every time that man thinks that they are wise, God comes back with an answer. Listen to what uh, it it declares in Isaiah 47.10. And you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. God warned in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What's all being said there is human wisdom coming in and making power of definition. God says something's bitter, it's bitter. What man comes in and says, it's not very bitter, it's kind of sweet. What God says is light, man says, that's really not light, that's darkness. And what's happening here is God is defining what is right, and man comes in and wants power of definition. Listen to what he says. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Paul says humanity isn't wise, but literally they've become fools. This word fools in the Greek is the word morino, which is the English word, help me out, moron. I love Paul. Paul says humanity, sinful humanity, you think you're smart, you're a bunch of morons. And he says that's sanctified. He says you're missing it. You're not wise. You are a fool. This word morino literally means that it is devoid of meaning. They've got nothing to say. They're jabbering on like a little baby who just sits there and blah, 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 blah. Nothing of any kind of intellect is coming out from their brains. They're just babbling. And Paul says that is us in our sinful state. We think we're wise. We think we can come up with these grand ideas of who our God is or what kind of God we want to have. And Paul says you're but nothing but a moron. Instead of turning to God, our only hope, our only help, our only place of grace, we find ourselves running away from Him. So what do we do? We find ourselves not only in just a uh, regression, but we also see ourselves in regards to a false religion. There's a foolish regression, and there's a false religion that takes place. Look at what man does. In their foolishness, what do they do? Although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. Instead of worshiping God, what do we do? We exchange the glory of the immortal being. Think about it. Let your mind think about what God may be like. I want your mind to think about the grandeur of God. When Isaiah walked into the throne room of God, he said that it was an amazing sight, that the temple was filled with the glory and the presence of God, that his robe and his train of his robe filled the temple. And angels, myriads of angels were singing and praising the name of God. And the incredible nature of what what Isaiah saw, he was floored by it. 
The Bible says that even when Moses was talking with God on the mountain and being given the law of the Lord, he says, I'd love to see you, God. And and God says, well, if if you see me, you'll be disintegrated because no one can see the face of God. So I'll let you see the glory of my backside, the Shekinah glory of God. And what happens to Moses when he sees the glory of the backside of God? His face is white. His beard and his his hair turn white as snow. That when he comes down from the mountain, what happens? happens people are scared to death of Moses because he's different now think of that the glory of God and think of what humanity has done instead of glorifying that immortal God what has man done in false religion we've created little gods of our own you know during that time when Moses is seeing the backside of the glory of God what is being done down on the ground they're bringing all their diamonds together and all their rubies and all their things and they're melting it together to make a calf of gold you know why the wrath of God is being revealed because God is an immortal God God is an awesome God God is an amazing God and what does sinful humanity do we go and we create little gods of our own you know, biblical historians say that uh, Charlton Heston and uh, Cecil DeMille, I believe, is the one who did the Ten Commandments, got it wrong. That the, the calf of gold literally had to be raised up above so everybody could see it because it probably wasn't very big. Because even if you had three million people that had all the gold in the world, once you melt that down into something, it's not going to be this great big uh, calf that ten men would have to lift up. It'd probably be something pretty small. And the amazing thing is, is they would rather serve this little puny, tiny little God instead of the immortal God. That hurt my voice. And that's what we do. And so what do we set up? We set up these religions that worship God. It says it first leads to the first thing. It says that we uh, worship for images made to look like mortal men. The first religion that man does when, when he turns away from God is to start worshiping self. What we begin to do is begin to worship who we are. We say, you know what? We've got a little of God in us. We see that in the New Age movement. Just worship yourself. Don't worry about worshiping Jesus Christ and worshiping. Just worship self. Take care of self because you are, in fact, a little God. Just down the street here. I don't mean to be mean, but there's a group of people that are meeting in a church right down Bliss Road who believe that that Jesus was a man who attained Godhood. And just like Jesus could do that, we can attain that as well. And all we have to do is do what the church says. And if we do what the church says, that there's a place in heaven for us where we will be gods just like God. And we say, well, Paul, what do you mean by this? It's happening in our world today but it goes on beyond that think about this not only do we worship ourselves which is kind of weird because worship is to be given to something greater than ourselves and we find ourselves like me worshiping nathan here and saying hey he's like me he's got flesh and blood he's got you've got hair i don't have hair okay i'm going to worship you even though we all have all the same characteristics see that's the amazing thing never forget that's why jesus christ was 100 percent god and 100 percent man If Jesus came and was just a man, we aren't to worship him, but he was God. He said, before Abraham, I am. He was God in the beginning with the Father. But notice what happens. We don't just do a parallel, but a a a degradation takes place. It says that we start worshiping animals. We start worshiping reptiles and other things. Look what happens. We start worshiping things that are less than ourselves 
How foolish can we be? The things that we should be worshiping are greater than ourselves, and what do we do? We worship things that are less than us. You're going to tell me what common sense is in that? There is no common sense in that. To worship something less than you, if I'm to go home and worship my cocker spaniel, the world would say, come on, Tim, and yet that's what we do. I call it uh, the Ricky Lake disease when people come and they say uh, uh, they get a group of people together and they're these worshipers of all different kinds of places. Well, I'm I'm a Hindu worshiper and they say, well, let's clap. And, and I worship uh, uh, the soul of my animal because he died, but now the ghost is around and they clap. And then someone says, well, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And what do they do? Don't let them speak. And yet our world says... Whatever you want to believe in, believe it. And we have all kinds of religions. You can't kill a cow in one of the most populous nations in our world. Why? Because there's deity there. Because it's a sacred animal. And Paul says they are fools. They are fools. In China uh, and uh, the Far East, Buddha, of course, is the great god of Buddhism. And there's a tooth that is revered. Because it is the tooth of a fat man named Buddha. And we sit there and say, why would we worship something that is just like us or from us? Historic, biblical Christianity says we worship God because there is none like Him. For who is like the Lord our God? The answer is no one, for he is the greatest thing our world has ever seen. And he is a part of, apart from everything that is human, apart from anything that is a part of this world. He is outside of this world because he is so great, and that's why we worship him. It leads to false religion. Well, there's one final thing this morning that I want to look at with the time I have left. And that is that this substitution of the truth reminds us as Christians of our duty in this world. What's the application of this? A lot of talking about technical things, a lot of just uh, studying of what Paul was saying. What is the, what's the application? My parents used to tell me, Tim, don't live like the world. And I'd say, but what does that look like? And they would say, whatever the world is doing, there's a good chance you probably should be doing the opposite. That's my application for this morning. Whatever the world is doing, it's probably a good chance that Christians should be doing the opposite. So what does that mean? Number one, give God glory. Give God glory. The world says don't give God glory. We as Christians should be the first and the foremost out front and saying to God be the glory, great things He has done. We should be people who are known for worshiping God. Not people who just go to church. Not people who just uh, sing some songs. But people who worship the name of God. Why? Because He's everything to us. We have nothing in this world if we don't have God. And if we forget that, then we are just like the world who neither glorifies God We're to to glory because He is supremely worthy of honor. We are to acknowledge His divine attributes. Since the glory of God is the sum of all His attributes of His being, then we must glory in all of Him. Give God glory and acknowledge all of who He is. We need to praise His name. That's why Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do in your day, whatever it is, how meaningful the task, 
You are to do it to the glory of God. Paul says in Romans 11, For for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. David wrote, Ascribe to the Lord, Almighty Ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. A hymn writer once wrote, We praise Thee, O God, our Redeemer and Creator. In grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. We lay it before Thee. We kneel and adore Thee. We bless Thy holy name. Glad praises we sing. Are you a worshiper of God? I don't mean do you raise your hands when we sing songs that you like. I'm talking about are you one who worships God? Do you worship Him? A Christian should be. They should be glorifying in God. Secondly, we must show God gratitude. Show God gratitude. In this week of Thanksgiving, it's amazing when you go verse by verse how the holiday works out for you. We should be thankful people. God has given us all that we need. God says that we should be content in all things because He promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you content, first of all? And in your contentment, are you thankful? Are you thankful for what God has done? That God has given you life and breath. That God has given you a home. That God has given you food and the ability to make a living. Have you thanked God for all that? When was the last time you got on your knees and said, Lord, thank you for this paycheck. I didn't earn it. You did. You earned it by giving it to me and placing it as a steward. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful for the family around you? But above all that, Paul says, give God thanks for his indescribable gift. We many times as Christians start thinking that we've earned salvation in a way, instead of just saying, thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. I was a sinner in need of grace, and you saved me from my sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do the people around you see you as thankful? They didn't thank God. A Christian should be thanking God at all times and in all ways. Thirdly, we need to have a greater understanding of the gospel. Let's understand the gospel. Never forget. Never forget at any point. See, when we look at Romans, we start going like this to uh, the sinful humanity around us. Dumb, dumb dummies. You know, you're going to go tomorrow and you're going to say to your fellow workers, my, my preacher says that you're a moron. And I believe him. But you know what? We were morons too. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We lived in darkness. We lived the way the world did. You know, we're going to get to a passage in a couple of weeks pointing out certain kinds of people who have taken sin to a new level and degraded themselves with all kinds of lust and sinful things. And we'd say, oh, I would never do that. And yet, what does Paul say? He goes down the list, swindlers, idolaters, homosexual offenders. And at the end of all that list, he says, and such of these were you before the grace of God appeared to you. Let us never forget when we come to texts like this, that we never start putting badges on us and saying, well, I, I was never that way. We were that way. We were lost and dead in our trespasses and sin. The final thing that we see this morning is not only that we need to understand the gospel, but we need to worship God and Him alone. We need to be careful that we don't create idols in our lives. 
And you say, well, I'm a Bible believer. I'm an evangelical. We don't have idols. I don't worship anybody but God. The greatest idolatry test that my father taught me as a teenager was to ask a couple questions. You want to know who your idols are? Number one, look at what you spend your money on. That'll tell you who your idol is. Number two, look at what you do spending your time. And if you find yourself spending time or spending money in a way that is out of balance in how you do with God, then something's wrong. Because what you've done is you've said, the Bible says that where our heart is, our treasure is there as well. And if we're spending money on other things and our treasures there, if our time is being spent on other things, and that doesn't mean that you have to be at church 24-7. Don't get me wrong. But if your idea of life is to take care of self, then you've created a, a God of self. If you have created the environment where you're running around with your kids to this event and to that event and saying, Sally, I won't miss an event if my life depended on it, then if you're starting to talk like that, or if that's how your calendar is set, that you're missing out on opportunities of ministry and opportunities for worship, then I will say that as lovely as Sally may be, you have elevated Sally above Jesus Christ. Be very careful that our money doesn't become a God, that our homes don't become gods, that our friends don't become gods. There's a God, there's an idolatry, there's a religion happening these days, and it's called the religion of Hollywood. We'd rather sit around at home and find out how other people live and who people are uh, kissing and who people are dating and finding out where they go and eat and sleep, and we call it the E-Hollywood Network. And instead of going home and praising God for what He's done and worshiping and studying the Word of God, we find ourselves watching TV. And, and finding ourselves finding out what Angelina Jolie and whatever her husband's name is and pursuing those things. Be careful, my friends, that we don't fall to the sin of idolatry this morning. In closing, worship God. Worship God. Find ways this week to worship Him and to worship Him alone. How do you do that? How do you not fall prey to false religion? By holding up the word of God and saying, whatever this word reveals to me, I will worship and adore the God of Scripture. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you this morning for your truth. We thank you that you have declared yourself, not only in nature, but in the living and active word of God. And Father, I pray as we leave this place today. That we would be a people who worship you. That we would be a people who thank you. That we would be a people who glory in you. Lord, we are nothing. You are everything. Lord, we are sinners. You are holy. Lord, we are lost and you're the only one who can find us. So, Father, I pray that that would become a reality in our lives. That we would be ones who would pursue you with our whole hearts. In light of a world that says no to God because of their suppression of the truth, that we would say yes to God and that we would make you number one in all that we say and do. Father, you demand worshipers. You are seeking out worshipers. Lord, let it be the case that when you look here amongst these people, as you look even in my own heart, that you would find one who worships and adores you because you are the God of creation and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. To Him be the honor. And to Him be the praise. Amen.